We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the men from Moto, and this is episode 22, Grab Bag. My name is David Seville, and I've got Travis Sowers on the line with me again this week. How are you, sir? I'm fantastic, David. How are you? I am also fantastic. Thank you for asking. Uh, we got a special episode this week. Happy 10th episode, Mr. Travis. Happy 10th, and it's our 10th anniversary, isn't it, Dave? It is. I didn't get you anything. But I, uh, I didn't get you anything either. I got you paper. I got you a magic card. I have a forest on my desk that you can have. I will mail it to you. I have a, what is this card? I have a live fast on my desk and I will mail that that to you. That describes my life perfectly. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So uh, aside from being our 10th episode, uh, this week is kind of a a bit of a mix. We've got um, a couple of formats to say goodbye to. So we're going to say goodbye to Modern modern Masters. Uh, We hardly knew ye. Bye. Uh, We're also going to say... Goodbye to uh, to Aether Revolt. See you uh, later. As fun as the format was, we're we're almost done with it. It's a, a lame duck format, and then uh, we've kind of got a, what we're calling Semulin's bag of tricks. We've got a kind of a handful of random topics that uh, that we we'd like to talk about, and mostly driven by uh, questions from viewers in your Twitch chat, if I understand correctly. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about some gameplay, some uh, you know drafting strategies, things like that, and uh, hopefully you can. Get a few tips and tricks, hence the name Semulin's Bag of Tricks. But before we begin, how was your week this week? It was a really good week. I, I would say a fantastic week. The stream went really well. I picked up uh, Death Shadow Jund to try out in Modern. Um, mm. I actually just recorded my Mana Deprived video today for that. Um, and I, I wanted to see, that, like, I asked on Twitter, "Is this what is the best deck in Modern? And everybody was like, you got to try Death Shadow. And I thought because I knew Jund so well, it would be difficult to pick up a new deck. But even just making terrible, terrible mistakes over and over and over, I've played 15 matches and lost four. So it's like th- there's something to this deck. It's uh, And maybe a lot of what I knew from Jund carried over because it's still a discard-heavy deck. But I was very impressed with that and looking to play in some modern uh, PTQs in the uh, upcoming future. Life is good. Things are going great. Um but yeah, that 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 was the the big thing was we were doing a little bit a little bit of modern again, and it felt good to get back into constructed. Outstanding. Um, since I last talked to you, I did a handful of modern masters drafts, and uh, they some of them sucked, some of them are really good. I drafted a really bad deck that lost. I drafted a really good deck that lost, and a <laughs> couple of medium decks that won. Go figure. And then the format busting uh, Esper Blink with Dinrova Horrors um, and that Witch thing was basically the best deck that I've ever played. So, Now, out of curiosity, while you were playing, did you happen to play against anybody well-known or famous or anything? <laughs> Just randomly Actually, asking for a friend. I know, I know I brought that up before. I, I didn't want to make a huge deal out of it. Ha, 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 ha. But no, actually, it was interesting. I, uh, I got to play against LSV. Um, unfortunately, it was a match that was off-stream because uh, I was between a late night stream that I didn't get to finish and then recording a draft video for Mana Deprived. So 
the only people that that know that I did for sure are me and him, and then the people that watch me do the replay uh, <laughs> later on stream. So I was no, one of was them. Really cool. I was there. Were you? Yeah, I wasn't in chat. I was falling asleep, but I heard oh my it. God. Did you see me go over the cyclonic rift play? Oh yeah, that was beautiful. That was oh my really, God. really fantastic. So I got to tell this story because it's it's just I'm so ashamed of it. But it was in game three. LSB is playing this like five color uh, bonfire of the damned ramp deck kind of thing. It's 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 a good deck it seems like. And I'm playing like three color Naya fair creatures with splashing for teleportal times two and cyclonic rift so that's my win condition is to just beat face and then beat face unblockable yeah and he's got two grixis slave drivers so grixis slave drivers they make zombies when they leave the battlefield not when they die and i bounced them with cyclonic rift thinking i was swinging for the win when in fact i was just giving him two zombies and then he just got to play two more creatures the next turn anyway i felt so bad because then i just i also had teleportal in hand which just would have won me the game and then I just won the next turn anyway, but it was kind of amazing that I punted in the most horrific way against the best player in the world, and I still won. Yeah, I, I, I don't think the goal is to play a perfect game. I think the goal, well, I suppose that is the goal, but you can't beat yourself up when you make mistakes. Like, mistakes are going to happen. Recognize them, move them along, move along from it, and keep playing. Yeah, and actually, it's it's... It's interesting because I, I went back to the, the lessons that we we taught our viewer, our listeners in the past where you don't compound your mistakes, right? So I made a lot of mistakes in that match. I was a little nervous because it was LSV and, you know, I, it's Modern Masters, so I, I wasn't playing that great anyway. I mean, heck, I thought Primal Command was, was an instant when it's a sorcery. Just things like that for not having experience in modern formats at all and, and cube at all. And um, I made sure not to compound those mistakes. So I didn't, I didn't make more mistakes after I recognized those mistakes and um, just played to my outs, which I just happened to have in my hand. So um, no, it was, it was fun. And, and I joke that, that I take that one seriously, but I really don't because, you know, I know, I know now that I should have just gone for the win and the, what the correct play was. Um, and that it's just my inexperience in the format that cost me that one. So I'm a little yeah. more embarrassed than anything. I, I, I have certainly been there, but you got the win. That's all that matters. You're the best magic player in the world now. That by the transitive property, I believe that is that is how that works, right? I'm a Hall yes. of Famer. Correct. Yeah. Welcome to the Hall of Fame, Dave. Hey, until I lose. Yes, which so I have not lost since. So have you played since? I've played two drafts since then. Oh wow. Okay. So six zero since then. Uh, I've actually won in my last seven drafts. I've won five of them. Wow. Okay, that's actually so, a pretty good I'm, record. I'm on a I'm a bit of a bit of a heater right now. So, but we'll we'll talk about heaters another time. I think because I think there's a the concept of momentum is is interesting and people joke about it on Twitter and the in the Magic Pro community. But um, uh, playing good and feeling good about yourself is like leads and snowballs and do more good play and more feeling good about yourself. And it's kind of interesting to run these these highs, these magic highs. I wish I could play more right now, but we're busy guys. What can I say? Yeah, we got this podcast record. You got a future topic there though. Write that one down. I will write that one down. Um, so speaking of Modern Masters, though, like we're done with this format, right? Yeah, I am. Yeah. So once you've drafted the Esper, Dinrova Horror, plus any kind of number of blink spells, you're, you've pretty much done it all, right? Yeah, it, it seemed to me like it was a format very much of, of value creatures. Um, I, I, I enjoyed drafting the format about five times. I ended up drafting it about eight the last mm-hmm. three were not so much fun. And I think that uh, somebody in the comments for my Mana Deprived video actually hit the the nail on the head. 
uh, because I was talking early in it about trying to figure out what was open. And they said in the comments, this isn't a format where you figure out what's open. This is a format where you take the best cards and force the best deck. And I was like, you know, they're actually right. And that's probably why I stopped enjoying it. Because for me, part of the fun for me is to show off my skill and limited at identifying the, the color that's open and then seeing stupid good cards, third pick in pack two and three. Like, well, yeah, sure. I got past a long tusk cub in pack three pack, you know, pick three. And I, I really couldn't do that in the modern master set. So it was fun to play with all the cool cards. Like I said, about five times for me. And then after that, I was like kind of done with it. And I, Honestly, I think that's sort of what the set was designed for. Open some packs, get some cool cards, play some cool games, and then go back to whatever it is you do in Magic anyway. Yeah, it definitely didn't feel like a like a cube, you know, where all the decks were powerful. Maybe Sans, like, you know, one of the, the burn decks or something like that. But it, it felt to me like, in at least the matches that I played, that there was, like, maybe one consistently good deck or two consistently good decks, and that was anything that was blue-based with any kind of flicker bounce you know whether it be esper or whether it be um uh i can't remember what the other color combo or i guess rakdos would have been or grixis sorry grixis would have been a good color combo esper grixis demir azorius anything that had blue in it anything that had the horror in it basically and it was so easy to splash in this format with the signets and the and the tap lands and the tri lands and and all that kind of stuff that um as long as you saw a dinrova horror anywhere in pack one you were probably in that color combo yep yeah um, it was fun, you know, I got to do some shenanigans, like the, the teleportal deck was kind of fun, um, you know, I learned how to play Signets again, that was always fun, <laughs> but it was, I mean, the most fun I had was the Dinrova Horror, but it was also very, very miserable to play against that deck, um, I drafted, like, a very fair tokens deck, and it felt good to me, but it just folded to anything that was blue, and yeah. that was unfortunate, so I wonder if it would have been better in a pod-based, uh, draft format on Magic Online, where, not everybody you played against in the in the two O bracket was that was was that color combo. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but um, it might have been better like in a in a paper magic setting with your buddies instead of playing on Magic Online competitively. Well, I, I think anything for fun value is always better sitting down at the table with your buddies. That's true. Maybe it, maybe it's more of a, just a fun format instead of a competitive format. Yeah, and I, I see things like for me, Commander on Magic Online never really appealed to me until I got involved with Tom, Derek and Archie doing the commander videos way back in the day. And with three of your friends on Skype, it's awesome to play commander on magic online, but sitting there and playing it by myself, I don't, I don't think I would dig that. So for me, I tend to like to stick to competitive formats on, on magic online, which is why I'm in, into modern right now is that's leading towards the PTQs. Um, so like, again, I had fun with it. I think it's cool. I think it's awesome that they reprint these cards. It gets cards into circulation that are are necessary and it's going to get some people into modern where they're like well i opened a damnation what modern deck can that go in hmm maybe i'll build it so it, i mean it, it's good for for everybody involved but for me it i think it's it's something that like if you're drafting it past five i, I don't know you have an irrational love of dinrova horror <laughs> it was a pretty fun card it was not that good in, Re in return to ravnica right it was that good in return to ravnica was it or Gatecrush or whatever it was? I don't think I've ever cast it until the, this format. So the, the issue with it there was it was an uncommon, so you hardly you didn't see it that often. And I, I believe the card you'll need to fact check me. I believe it it came out in Gatecrush and was honestly a little too slow for that format. But where it right. began to shine was in full block with Dragon's Maze because I don't but remember playing. 
Yeah, you'd only see it in one pack. Now, Demir was still playable in Gatecrash. We, we did a whole podcast about this, but you had to be the only person drafting Demir. But once you got to, to Dragon's Maze, if, you're, if you had a Denrova Horror, you were splashing for it, and it was absurd. Hmm. Shows how much I actually drafted Dragon's Maze, now that I think about it. So It was a while ago. It was. Um, so aside from Modern Masters, and it leaves in a week, so if you haven't drafted it yet, you know, go give it a try. Uh, maybe do the Phantom ones, because they're a little bit more cost-effective. Um, excuse me. Got the mic mute down. That was good timing. Um, we're also going to say, about to say goodbye to Aether Revolt. And I know how much you, you, I know how you feel about this. I know how much you're going to miss the format. Um, and I'm going to ask you to tell me how you really feel. Um, so we've only got a couple of weeks left until the paper pre-release of, uh, Amonkhet. Amonkhet, I believe is how you pronounce it. Yeah. Um, we've seen some really cool spoilers, um, and, and some really cool mechanics. Uh, we're going to go talk, we're not going to talk about that this week. We're going to talk about it, uh, on the next podcast, which will be the week of the pre-release. Uh, give our listeners a heads up. We're not doing a full, like seven hour set review this time. Uh, we've decided that first of all, a, I can't take a day off streaming or off uh, work. You can't take a day off streaming. You've got your own draft or uh, a limited review that you're doing on stream that Mm -hmm. week anyway. Correct. So instead of du- doubling up all that effort, we're just probably going to do like a, a bit of an extended podcast and we're just going to highlight some of the key cards in the archetypes and some cards that we think are cool. Probably talk a little bit about the mechanics, maybe talk about whether it's a 17 land or an 18 land format, you know, kind of the high level stuff. Um, and instead of talking about every single 3-2 that's vanilla in the format, <laughs> uh, we're just going to touch on like the highlights, maybe do like, you know, a third of the cards or something like that um, at a high pass. So that's kind of what we're looking forward to for the next podcast. So Tune in for that if, if you plan on uh, going to your pre-release. But in the meantime, I, I do want to say goodbye to Aether Revolt and Kaladesh. Basically, this this format, this block as a whole. And uh, now, are you familiar with those awards shows where, uh, you know, like the Grammys or the Oscars or something like that, where somewhere in the middle, they, they kind of play this like 12-minute montage to really sad music about all the people that the industry has lost over the last year? No, but l- let's pretend I am. Okay. So I wanted to do that for for this block. So what I'm going to do is hold on. I got this queued up right here. Oh, okay. We got some some sad music here that we're gonna. This song speaks to me. Oh God, it's sad puppies. And uh, we're gonna say goodbye to some of our quote favorite Aether Revolt cards and Kaladesh cards in limited. So I'm going to start here. I'm going to say goodbye to uh, Walking Ballista. I will not miss you, Walking Ballista. It walked so far. If only it could keep on walking into Amoncat. <laughs> Renegade, do, do you have any? Renegade Freighter. I'm sure going to miss attacking with a 5-4 trample on turn 4. I'm sure not going to miss getting run, o- run over by a 5-4 trample on turn 4. <laughs> Um, along the same lines, Untethered Express. I swung with a 9-9 Untethered Express the other day. Have felt you, good. Have you ever attacked with it while you had a Winding Constrictor in play? No. That's your assignment for the next two weeks. I might not get to. This song is going to make me cry now. Yeah, I'm really feeling it. I'd like to say goodbye to Appetite for the Unnatural. Oh. Because it's... It's always a fun format where you can main deck naturalize effects. 
and it's going to take me a while to reevaluate them because they're not just terminates anymore. I'm going to miss you naturalized. <laughs> Smuggler's copter. You notice a the theme here? Vehicles and things that kill vehicles. I'm going to miss Smuggler's copter. The last, no, I guess it's not the last legal format. The only legal format that I play where I can play Smuggler's copter. Iron Tread Crusher. The Crushinator. The Crushinator. All we had was Monday, Monday, Monday. But I'll always remember it. Ridge Scale Tusker. Oh, so many counters. So many counters. Long Tusk Cub. I will also miss Long Tusk Cub. Turn two. Long Tusk Cub. You can, with only two energy, the the cost of a cup of Aether per day, you can save those Long Tusk Cubs. (laughs) Maybe we should end it there, hey? (laughs) Yeah, before I do bust into tears, man. (laughs) Thank you for that. Thank thank you for humoring me. Yeah, anytime. Thank you for humoring me. So, uh, maybe share with us on Twitter your, your favorite or or not so favorite cards that you you will be sad or not sad to see leave the format and uh make sure you're setting it to to some sad music and and i will love you for it forever yeah that was special that was special in all fairness though i did have a ton of fun with the format and i am kind of crushing it lately so i'm looking forward to drafting it for another week here or so but um uh you know it, it is time that it left I've, I've had a blast with Kaladesh too. I, I think it was a little bit higher variance format than we're used to in the past that's something that's not a fair way to say it i think there were some high powered cards in the format the vehicles uh, many of which we mentioned were pushed and that kind of sucks when somebody resolves a renegade freighter and you can't do anything about it but there were answers in the format and, and overall i very much enjoyed kaladesh the flavor did not particularly resonate well with me but the gameplay and the interactions were a lot of fun so at the end of the day i'm happy i'm very excited for M and Cat. I mean, frankly, I've always thought anything Egypt was cool, and I, I like cats. I don't know if you knew that. So <laughs> I'm very excited to be going here. Not to mention Nikki B, but I, I, I will I will look back fondly upon Kaladesh. I really liked the vehicles. It's kind of too bad that they were all colorless, though. I think that was maybe part of the problem with them. Um, when I'm first picking Untethered Express over a really good rare, which I did the other night. Um, you know, I, I think the format's got a, a bit of a problem there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of too bad that they maybe couldn't have been colored artifacts. Yeah, yeah, they could have been. They've done right. that before. Yeah, I, I think, I think, but I mean, whatever. I mean, it, it was kind of cool. And like I said, swinging with a nine time nine nine untethered express was was definitely the highlight of of my vehicle playing. Um, I will miss the mechanics too, for the most part. Maybe not revolt, but definitely energy. Energy was cool. Energy was actually cool. Like, I remember initially seeing it as we're talking about it a long time ago on set review. And I'm like, the only energy cards I'm interested in are the ones that, you know, give you a way to spend it immediately. And and take that from me saying when Kaladesh is released to my last draft video for Mana Deprived was me going off with an Aetherworks Marvel. Like, that's that, I've run the gambit of of thinking energy is stupid to, to falling in love with it. And now it's gone. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the cool part about it was is that um, even if you got, like, if, you're, if your energy creature got removed right away, you could usually find a way to spend it somewhere else along the way. And mm-hmm. um, 
it was just you just got really good value out of it and you could manage you could uh manage your sequencing correctly and you could get you know decide where you wanted to spend those resources and even if you didn't have anything else to spend it on it was still good on its own like thriving grubs you know all grubby you know red aggro or aether chaser red aggro and you're just like well i'm just i have nothing no other energy in my deck i'm just gonna play this as a two one that makes a servo and it was awesome it was great yeah it was it was really cool i'm I'm, i was a big fan and and kudos to wizards to kind of pushing that one out the door because i think that was easily the most interesting new mechanic um that i've played with in a very long time same same i I still have the one criticism looking back if if i'm gonna get in a time machine and go tell wizards what to do is like don't put two energy symbols on something or eight energy symbols on it just put like two in parentheses in the energy symbol because like some of the cards that needed eight energy to to activate were a little like frustrating to read like looking at them you're like is that six is that eight like okay i'll stop and count them that could have been done a little better but they they absolutely you know took a swing and i think came up with something that was really cool and a neat way to interact that we just had not done magically before yeah all in all positive set i will look back on it fondly and when it comes back in the flash draft flashbacks uh i will definitely pick that up and, and play a few all right so now that we've said goodbye and we're saying hello to a new set coming up in the future, we kind of have to fill this middle week-ish with um, some just filler content. We've got Cube that's not coming out, come out or not, not coming out till next week, so can't really really talk about that. We just had Modern Masters, which is basically Cube, so yeah. don't really care about that too much. So let's uh, let's go into your your bag of tricks here. Let's let's do the grab bag. Let's talk about some random things. Just bounce bounce some things off each other, and uh, hopefully we'll answer some of your viewers' questions in the meantime. Yeah, um, I have what's this? One, two, three, four, five, six things that I wanted to discuss. Um, just spend a few minutes on each of them, and four of them were things that people specifically asked about in the stream. Um, any listeners, if you guys are interested in asking us more questions or starting conversations or, you know, getting something like that going, feel free to tweet at us or stop by the streams and mention it. Cause like we listen and we write this stuff down and we will cover it. Um, the first one's going to be me climbing up on my soapbox a little bit and kind of shaking my, at my fist at you kids, get off my lawn. I'm, I'm not really sure what got this into my head, but I, I, I was remembering drafting a million years ago in Wilmington, North Carolina at fanboy comics and cards, which is out of business. Now when I was sitting down to draft Tempest and Mirage and later Mercadian masks and starting to learn the fundament fundamentals of drafting. And I hear people these days talk about signaling and how important it is and, and et cetera, et cetera. Have you heard people talk about that, Dave? Yeah. I, I hear people talking about it like two picks into the, into the draft. They're like, Oh, looks like red's open because we're getting signals or, or I'm going to cut red and not send the red signal to my neighbor here and then get paid off in pack two. That's, you know, basically what people are talking about most of the time when they hear signals. Yeah. Well, I, I want to take you back to my day and, and then compliment wizards on a design choice and then challenge everyone to become a better drafter. So back in my day, Mercadian masks is the biggest example of this, but it was present to some degree in all old sets. I'm not exactly sure when this started to change um, because I, I took a, a long break and it, it had changed by the time we got to Scars of Mirrodin, um, which is where I came back. But if you go back far enough and sit down and try to draft, even Mirage Block will get it to you somewhere. There's not enough playables in the packs. 
there used to be cards printed that they would refer to as skill testers. These are cards that you just can't play. They don't do anything. They're not good. They're really bad. They're awful, right? And the old packs used to be full of them. And what that meant was if you sat down for a draft in Mercadian Masks and didn't read signals and figure out what color was open, you had a deck with 10 playable cards. And when I'm talking about things not being playable, I'm not talking about um, Terror of the Fairgrounds. I'm talking about five mana tutus with like terrible abilities. Like that's what that format was. Transition that to today. Most of those skill testers are gone. So if you sit down and draft horribly, you will still have a playable deck as long as you just stick to two colors. So anyone can kind of sit down and just pick cards of two colors, even if it matches up with what they first picked and they're not punished with, you don't get to play magic. You have a a deck full of garbage They're punished with your deck is not nearly as good as it could have been if you had drafted correctly. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Um, I think what you're saying is like the, the floor on your deck, as long as you, you stick to picking up cards you can cast is much higher than it used to be. Correct. Yeah. And that makes sense. And I, so I think what that has done is made a few people when they sit down and draft and they first pick a black rare and then they're like, okay, well, there's a Daring Demolition in the pack. In maybe, maybe that's a bad example. There's an Aether Poisoner in the pack, and there's a Hungry Flames in the pack. And you're like, well, I'll take the Poisoner because I have this Black Rare. That's, that's kind of really not what I would be doing in that spot. But because of the way the modern formats are designed, you can kind of get away with that. I still think you're better off taking the best card out of the first, I don't know, four packs, and then starting to look for a signal. And like I've I've had times on on stream where I'm getting past amazing uncommons and and sometimes rares, you know, pick four, five, six in the last pack, and people are like, "You're lucky." Like I'm not lucky. Do, do you see the good stuff in my sideboard where I didn't play my first pick or my second pick and switched colors so that I could be ready for this bounty that has been gifted to me? So it. it I, I think the fact that you can kind of force colors and still have a air quotes playable deck is a little bit of a hindrance. So I'm going to challenge people who are listening to make the f- the first four picks of your next draft independent of what you've already picked. Just take them and put them right in your sideboard. Just take the best card out of those first four packs. Then start to, to look for a signal. So there, there's, there's trick number on? one. Yes. Hop in Can there. I add on to that? Mm-hmm. To that? Um, I, I would, I, th- I think, I think that's, that's a very good challenge. I would, I would, um, caution though that if two cards are close pick one that goes with your other cards so like you know if if it's you know like you said um hungry flames versus something that's equal to hungry flames and you already have a red card or 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 something that's slightly better than hungry flames you probably take hungry flames in that case because of you know you you do also you do have a red card but if if the best card of the pack is just not your colors then give it a try and take it because you never know um what's coming around and when it comes to signals a signal is not available to you in pack two unless you know what the common run or the uncommon run is. And for example, you know that Ridge scale Tusker was taken because you saw a Malfus uh, revolutionary and whatever the card is that goes with them. I forget. Um, you mean pick, that pick be, two, not pack two, right? Or pick, pick two, yeah. pick two, not pack two, pick two. Um, 
you just don't have enough information but what you can do is you can note the cards that have been passed to you in in in, on pick two and pick three and about pick four is where you start to see those signals like if you see a daring demolition pick four you know either your neighbor picked three cards that were black and better than daring demolition or they're not in black um those are your two options right so I, I yeah, go ahead. I, I just want to jump in there because you're right. Let's say that we first pick the black demon. We get past hungry flames and daring demolition. We're like, okay, I've got the black demon. I'll take daring demolition. If the next pack, the best card is white, take it. And if the next pack, the best card is red, take it. Don't say, well, I'm going to take this mediocre black card because I already passed hungry flames and you could easily not be playing black. You could first pick a black bomb into a good black removal spell and then black's gone not worth it. Mm-hmm. Not worth it for me. And that's, and that's the reason to, to kind of spread out there too. And in Aether Revolt, taking colorless cards, you know, helps you hedge. Oh yeah. Against, against getting cut or picking up the wrong signal. Mm-hmm. So when in, when in doubt, when you have two equal cards, you know, take, take the Renegade Freighter or, or not the, or the Untethered Express, take, take the really good colorless card. Um, uh, if it's an option, you should actually rank those a little bit higher. Um, because they go in any color. Yeah, I've, I've picked Trapper Keeper over Solid Removal just because it, it was first pick. I didn't know what color I am, but I know I'm going to put the Trapper Keeper in my deck. I've picked Pacification Array, like, highly, because not only is it a great card, but it goes in every deck. It goes in aggro, it goes in control, it goes in mid-range, it goes in everything. I, so. I, I won a game with end of turn, tap your guy, on my turn, tap your guy, bounce it with the dwarf that bounces things, Play it again, no. tap your other guy, kill you. That's brutal. Yeah, it was it was fine. I hope you sent your opponent a gift basket for that one. It, a minion's gift basket. <laughs> okay. Anything else to talk about signals or oh actually can we talk about like worrying about what you're passing your opponent versus what is getting passed to you? Yeah, if you want to listen to me rant for a minute. I love it when you rant. Okay. So the way that draft works, so many people focus on the signals that they're sending and that, that is not irrelevant, right? Like that matters, but your job in a draft, if you want to break it down to what do I need to do to, to, to win is to figure out what the person who is passing you pack one and pack three isn't taking. That's where most of your stuff is coming from. So the person that you're passing to, remember you're sending them two packs what they should be doing is figuring out what your path, like they should be looking for those signals, but you don't need to value it too much. If you send them two good red cards and then move into red and gobble it all up, they're way more incentivized to get the heck out of red because they're not going to see any more of this pack and they're not going to see any pack three. So I, I, I value it as at least 66% more important to pay attention to the signals that you're getting instead of the ones that you're sending. If the person that you're passing to um, pack one and three is paying attention, they'll figure out what you're doing and stay out of your way. And th- then there's always niche strategies about, well, red was cut in pack one, so I'll get all the red cards in pack two, and then my my last color in, in pack three. Like, it's a great place to be to have 10 good white cards and then a couple cards from each other color after your first pack. You know, or maybe seven good white cards would be a better example. And no, I'm solidly in this color. I'll figure out the rest next pack. Th- that's not a bad thing. But pay attention to the signals you're getting far more so than the signals you're sending, and you'll end up with a much better draft deck. Yeah, really, the signals that you're sending is only good for anticipating what you'll get in pack two as a general 
like concept, like like the the general idea of what you're going to get. So if you didn't take a single red card and you passed a bunch of amazing red cards and instead you took amazing black cards, you know, the only thing you know is that you're probably not getting red cards in the next pack. But you're going to see a, a trickle of them potentially. Um, but that's the, that's about the only thing that you get out of the signals that you're passing or the cards that you're passing. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, the ones that you're reading, you're seeing not only what your neighbor's in, but what your neighbor's neighbor's in. Um, and then you can anticipate those same things in, in pack three. So you get about a, about a pack and a half worth of information or worth of, uh, you know, being able to anticipate what kind of picks you're going to get. Whereas what you're passing to your neighbor, you're only going to get about a half pack to a pack out of that. So you definitely get more, um, out of studying what you're, what you're getting past, I would say. I absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Um, I like these little mini topics. We should, we should have like 30 of these. That'd be a long podcast. Okay, well, we'll, we'll split it up then. Okay. Uh, okay. Next, uh, we've, you, we've got uh, land bases for sealed and draft. Yeah. So this is not just count. This is also how do you decide what kind of color symbols you need, right? Correct, correct. Okay. So let's assume for this that we're not splashing and we're playing in a traditional draft or, or sealed format where we're running 17 lands. We did a whole podcast last week about uh, spl- splashing and and sealed so i I don't want to go too much into that but you have an interesting way that i've noticed on stream of calculating how much land you need of which color and i i wanted to get that shared with everybody sure yeah so it's i just look for simple ratios of of my total symbols and then that gives me my base uh mana count and then from there I adjust up or down a very small amount depending on if I need these symbols or these colors early or late, which is a common thing, or if I have double colors. So what I'll do is I'll sort by color. If I have dual cards, I'll count them in both piles or or whatever. Um, And then any kind of off-color activations, uh, sorry, or artifacts that have activated costs or or, uh, creatures that have activated costs, I will also count in in those color piles. So in Aether Revolt, I'll put like a Weldfast Monitor in the red pile, even though it's a colorless card. And so let's say I have, you know, 60 total mana symbols across all my cards. So I count double green as, as two mana symbols, mm-hmm. let's say. And I have 40 green and, and 20 red symbols total. That means I have a two to one ratio, 40 to 20 of green to red. So then when I translate that into my land base, I'm looking for about a, a two to one forest or, or green source to red source ratio as a starting point. Now, I usually don't end there unless the deck is really straightforward when it comes to curve and double mana symbols and things like that. Um, so I guess in a, in a 17 land, you know, I'm looking at about 11 to six to start 11 to six is probably the furthest that I'll go unless I'm like super, super light in a color. So just by default, I'll kind of knock that down to a 10, seven, just, just, just to keep things because you, you never want to be hundred percent short, especially if you have, you know, a good amount of red playables that are, that are, aren't just splash color. Like, you know, you have like five or six or seven good red cards. Um, it's just, you happen to be heavy green for the double casting costs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then once I've done that, once I've done that, so I've got my, my base, my 11, six or my 10, seven, let's say I will sort by converted mana costs. And then again, I'll adjust up or down depending on early versus late game. So if I've got a bunch of mana dorks in green, or I've got, uh, Aeth- or, um, a tune with Aether in green, then I'm going to want to make sure I'm a little more green heavy because if I hit those extra sources, uh, let's say for for a tune with ether. If I if I if I hit that in my hand, I want to have green that I can play early, which then I can just go get a red card or a, a red source with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of adjusted one up or down either way. And let's say it was really heavy green with an a tune with ether and a druid of of the cowl um, in that kind of 
two to one ratio deck, I'd probably go back to 11, six, uh, green sources to red sources, just to make sure that I can hit that early green, which would then set me up for my, for my future turns. Um, I also look at things like double casting costs. So if I have double casting costs of one over the other, I'll kind of knock it one in that direction. And if I have double casting costs in both, then I probably hate my life. And I, I wonder <laughs> why I'm actually playing this deck. Um, and then same with like early versus late game cards. So if I have removal that I, that is good early and good late, um, I kind of don't care where I cast it in the curve. Um, I'm not too concerned about the mana requirements for that. But if I have something like a shock, which is better early, then I'll lead a little bit more to red than I will to green. And it's kind of this scale back and forth, which which just then ends up with me hitting the recommended land button on Moto and in Moto telling me what I should play. <laughs> I, I, thank you for sharing that. I think the sorting the creatures by casting cost is an important step. It has been quite often that I've drafted a deck and then looked at it and realized that you know, I'm I'm mostly black with four good red cards, three of which are removal and one is a two drop. And at that point, I'm like, why am I playing this two drop? I'm never casting it on turn two. I'm splashing for these three welding sparks ish effects. Like, just get this guy out of here and put some bad black creature in its spot and I'm good to go. And then then you yes. then you can run that, you know, uh, 11, six mana base and be super happy about it. Yeah, sometimes um some sometimes it, sometimes a two drop is a splash right if, if you're not playing uh i, I want to say you want to probably want to play at least seven sources in order to hit your two drops on time with that color consistently and even then that's pretty risky yeah um it, it's a calculated risk to do that so if i have a bunch of two drops split between two colors i'll usually just end up nine eight by default um it really helps if you have um things like dual lands or the renegade maps because they're colorless you know, like the like the lands, uh, it's, it's just like free fixing. Mm-hmm. So um, you're, you're pretty happy to do that. Um, or Renegade Map will help you out because you can turn, you know, your 11 to 6 more into 12-7 to with, with a Renegade Map because it counts as either uh, green or red depending on what you need. So, yeah. So it, it's not scientific. Um, and it, it kind of broke down on me the other night when I was trying to do it in, in uh, Modern Masters with three colors, probably because I was counting lands instead of sources. You know, like all the dual lands and tri-lands, I was counting as single sources or uh, single lands instead of counting them as sources. So I ended up just with like a, a dumb mana base that even though I had twice as many blue cards as, as black and white cards, um, I ended up playing a mana base that was really close. So like I had maybe 11 blue sources and nine white sources and nine black sources. And it was kind of like, whoa, like this doesn't make any sense. What am I doing here? But um, <laughs> it works. Dual lands do mess things up a little bit. Dual, dual lands and tri-lands mess things up a bit. But, you know, in, in your general format, you kind of want to look at the ratio and that'll give you a good rule of thumb. But unless if you're if you're not if you're going anything worse or more, further outside than, than 10, 7, you kind of have to step back and really think about it because the I think the jump from seven to six is significant um, in in terms of risk of not hitting those colors. I do too. At, at that point, you're almost splashing four cards in a second color than playing a two color deck. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Did I answer your question? You did. Thank you. That was exactly what I wanted to hear. And I, I honestly think that you're better at at mana base construction because sometimes I will just default to nine eight and not really think through it. And that's one area where I know I can improve my game is paying a little more attention to that and being willing to go 10-7 or 11-6 at times. Um, or sometimes the the rarely seen 9-9. I played an 18-land draft deck in uh, Aether Revolt and went 3-0. <laughs> so, sometimes you just need them lands. Um, sometimes. 
The next one we had up was when to switch colors in draft, which we talked some about in the signaling area. But I think the big thing to grasp here is, is around pick four or five, look for something that you would consider close to first pickable. So this is where you see, I don't know that Daring Demolition is quite the, the example, a, a really solid red card that people are first picking. Something like um, Aether Chaser is a good example, right? Uh, yeah, Aether Chaser is really good. Caught in the Brights is, is probably a good example. Like fifth pick, you're like, huh, what's this still doing here? When, when you think that, like let's say I've, I've gone good black card, good black card, good red card, good red card, and now there's a Caught in the Brights. It's not, is Caught in the Brights better than my two black cards? It's, is Caught in the Brights plus all the other white cards I'm going to see in the rest of this draft, because this is still here, are they all better than my black cards? So about pick five or six is where you can make a shift and still have enough of the draft left to pay you off. If you don't make it there, you will have the experience of passing the nut deck to your left, which is just <laughs> awful. I have done it. Don't be that person where you get so locked in on your first, you know, good black card, good black card, good red card, good red card. I guess we're, we're black red. And then you just watch as, you know, amazing green and white cards go past. Yeah, it's it's a calculated risk to switch because you're burning four side card or, or sideboard slots on um, on on switching. So your 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 sideboard will be a little thinner. But if your overall if the overall power level of your deck is higher, um, obviously you're going to win more games and you just never sideboard. Um, what I like to do is I like to look for. Um, like, like you're caught in the brights is a, is a good example, but if it's like, if I'm black red and it's a caught in the brights versus an aether poisoner, even though caught in the brights might be better to, to some people, I think aether poisoner is better to me, but let's say I, I valued aether or uh, caught in the brights a little higher first pick, let's say, um, aether poisoner is close enough in power level that I'd probably still, still take that. And, and I see aether poisoner fourth or fifth pick as a bit of a minor signal. Yeah. Um, but if there's nothing else in the pack, like let's like maybe maybe you're not seeing any. Let's red see there's a cruel finality and a caught in the brights. There you go. I'll hedge toward the caught in the brights because losing out on a sideboard card, um, for for a for a, for a card I'm just not going to play, is is probably okay. So cruel finality would likely go in the sideboard. I might not play it. Versus the upside of taking caught in the brights and maybe lucking out and seeing that white is open. Um, you know, if I just put a dud in my sideboard, which would be caught in the brights, and then I get past the nut red black deck, you know, who cares, right? I burned one sideboard slot that I don't care about. Yeah. Um, I, I think the upside is too high. And if all you're passing is something like a cruel finality or, um, you know, uh, the stupid two, two that sacrifices artifacts or whatever, like, like there, there's, there's a lot of average cards because people are picking like a lot of the powerful cards are artifacts and, you know, it feels like some of the colors are actually, it feels like it feels like the format's a little bit shallow when it comes to the color cards, because the colorless cards are so powerful. Um, Another part of it, Dave is, is what I was talking about is, is even the cards that are, that we would call not playable these days are playable, Mm -hmm. right? Like because of, of, of that fact that skill testers are gone and generally speaking, they're putting more playable cards in packs for limited. You're, like you can take that two two that sacrifices an artifact, and and I understand there's some synergies with that card, but let's discount those for this discussion. You can still put that in your deck as a, a you know three mana two two that maybe you can sack something and give a counter to, and it'll be all right. 
So I, I, I'm, I, I'm not exactly. I, I'm just saying your deck's going to get better around pick four or five when you have that thought. What's this still doing here? And you just take it instead of trying to convince yourself to stay on course. Yeah, I do struggle with that sometimes, especially with cards that um, uh, that are good, but maybe I don't regard them as being as like I don't I don't see them as good as the, as I should. Like, like I don't, I don't treat them as highly as I should. Um, a really good example of that is um, Aether Sweeper. I'll see it fourth and fifth and sixth pick. You should be taking. And I'll be it. like, I should be taking it, but I don't know if it's because I don't like blue as much in this format as some people, even though it's a good, good color. Um, or the cards that I'm seeing are, you know, I think they're close in power level when maybe they're not. Yeah. But I, sh- I should be taking, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth pick sweepers a lot higher than I do. And then what always ends up happening is you know, there's like a seventh pick Bastion invest- inventor. And I'm like, well, crap. Like I should have, if, if I had taken these Aether Supers, I'd be in blue right now and I'd have a really sweet deck. But instead I'm kind of sticking to my guns in this this red black deck, which turns out it's probably fine in the long run. Um, but I have to work a lot harder to make that deck. Like I have to, I have to pass up on certain cards because I'm forcing colors. Um, you know, I have to take removal higher because I know I'm not going to get more removal because I think everybody else around me is in black, for example. Um, it's, it's a calculated risk and a calculated decision. And sometimes just taking that one pick to quote unquote, stay open, um, can, can pay dividends, especially if it's a powerful card on its own. And you're just like, like you said, like, what is this doing here? Um, if you're asking yourself that question, then you've probably leveled up and you probably, uh, you probably should be taking that card and hedging into that color. Just take the card. Just take the card. Next up on my list was somebody asked, when should you be drawing in a limited format as opposed to playing if you win the dice roll? I, I will tell you it is is for sure not in Kaladesh or Aether Revolt because there are big giant vehicles that want to run you over. And I think that this format is highly advantaged for whoever's on the play. Um, generally speaking, if if you choose to play first all of the time, you're far more likely to be right than if you choose to draw first all of the time. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I think if you played first for the rest of your magic career in limited, um, you would maybe one out of a thousand times make a mistake. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's a little more than that, but and the mistake that you're making is not so severe that you're really crippling yourself. Like I think it's close. You know, we're talking like one or two percentage points either way. Um, but if you just always played um you you would you would basically average out to being a slightly better um win or you'd have a slightly higher win rate than somebody who always drew yeah and i i think someone i I can't remember who it was i think it was a pro that i heard say this when you choose to go on the play you're basically starting with one less card and your opponent starting at 15 life something like that is what's going on so if you choose to draw, you're saying, I want an extra card and I'll deal five damage to myself to take it. There are some formats where you can do that. If you ever go back and play some of the older limited formats, it's a, a real consideration to do that, especially if you've got a bunch of good removal spells. Now, as far as when in modern times should you actually choose to draw, very rare circumstances, but I, I'll tell you the most common one that pops up is when you, you have a, a long, grindy matchup on both sides. So your deck is looking to generate value and win very slowly, and your opponent's deck is looking to do the same thing. In that case, you should choose to draw because it's going to come down to who has the most cards more often than not. 
when you're both answering each other's stuff and you both have card draw spells and you're both looking to take the game long. Um, but usually you can identify who is the beatdown in, in a particular scenario. And if it's you, you want to be on the play. And if it's your opponent, you want to be on the play. <laughs> That's true because you want to beat them out the door. Mm-hmm. It's it's only the- in situations where we've got basically two dirtle decks that are facing off against each other. Now, technically, I think being on the draw was slightly advantaged in Battle for Zendikar. Because that was a, a, a format that was just slower on average, and it did often come down to who had that extra card. Uh, so it's not so far back that I can't remember it. Um, but even then, there were some people making aggro decks. So in the blind, I would usually choose to play. Yeah, I I, I can't remember the last time when I chose to draw, to be honest with you, in, in, in Limited. Yeah, it, it, and and that just tells you something right there, right? Yeah, I, I have not seen a sealed deck scenario where I wanted to be on the draw. Any time I could choose to be on the play, I would choose to be on the play. Um, but there, there, that's probably because we've been Kaladashing for so darn long. Mm-hmm. And I think once we've left this plane for a little bit, we may see scenarios in sealed specifically where you're like, okay, well, this is just us throwing haymakers at each other. I'd like to have one more of them. I'll go on the draw. So don't be afraid to do it, but look for those situations where like you've played a long grindy game against your opponent. You've seen a lot of their deck. They've seen a lot of yours and it's going to come down to card advantage. That's where you want to be on the draw. I agree. The slower the format, the more likely it is you should be drawing, but you probably can't go wrong by playing. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's good. I like that. I like that. Next topic we've got is attacking and blocking. Yeah, I, I, somebody had asked just to go a little bit deeper on some decision points. I, I think what caused it was I, I I can't remember the exact scenario, but to, to recreate it, essentially, I attacked a 3-3 with a good ability into my opponent's 3-3 that didn't have any abilities. It's my turn. I have a combat trick. I didn't use it and let them trade. And someone in chat was like, why would you let them trade when you have a combat trick? Well, it's because my opponent had a bunch of mana open. Uh, combat is built to naturally, the, the way the phases works, it it favors the defender because the attacker has to choose to do something first. If mm-hmm. I don't choose to do anything and then they don't choose to do anything, the damage resolves. Whereas if I fire off my combat trick and they have a removal spell, I'm getting set up to get two for one. So there's scenarios where like, if, if they're tapped out, I'm firing off that combat trick all day long. But if, if they're not and there's something they could have that's really going to mess me up, like sometimes I'll make that attack and be like, okay, you put a two, two and a, a two, three in front of my three, three, I'll just trade it for the th- the two, three and be okay with that because my board state's going to be fine afterwards. Whereas I don't want to take that risk, um, of, of going for it. If they've got that much mana open by the same token, I had a very similar scenario where I, I had the combat trick and I used it and it, it was not that long after <laughs> the the previous one where I did. So naturally everybody that I've just explained that to is like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, well, the scenario here is I'm at five life and they're pretty darn close to killing me. I can't play around anything. I need this to work. I need this guy to be alive and I need to be able to kill him with it next turn. Like, so I, I like if they've got a removal spell, I'm losing this game anyway. I don't care at that point. I'm going to use my thing and hope they don't have it. So like, you can use your combat tricks to force through damage. Just be aware that your opponent gets to respond. Think about some of the things that they can have. And if they've blocked in such a way where you're going to get a, a, a trade that you're okay with, 
you don't need to fire off that trick. You may be able to use it later. Uh, the the thing about combat tricks is, um, and this was a leveling up point for me, I think recently is that you know I was there was a there was a time in the not so distant past that I was just firing off combat tricks all the time. You know, three two vanilla on the other side of the board, sweet. I'd attack in with my two two and and give it plus two plus two, and I traded a combat trick for a three two with no abilities. And you're kind of like take a step back from that, and it's like I just use a removal spell, a, a conditional removal spell, but I use a removal spell on a creature that meant nothing. And I get to keep keep a two two that maybe I don't care about in the long run. It's right? gonna get outclassed. Um, it's gonna get outclassed. Whereas if my opponent plays maybe a four four with an ability, maybe I can engineer a double block with my two two, uh, you know, in a two three or something like that, and then use that combat trick in in a defensive way or or removing something significantly better. So sometimes you know sometimes I'll find myself swinging in with a combat trick and my opponent blocks and I'm kind of like, well now that we're here. I'm kind of okay with this trade because I'd rather save this for something else, right? Yeah. Um, or, or or maybe my opponent, I think my opponent read me for a combat trick and they're like, yeah, I'll trade a combat trick for this creature. I'll do that all the time, right? Where my opponent will tack in and it looks like an even trade and I'm just kind of like, well, if my opponent has a combat trick, I'm okay with them using the removal spell on this little wimpy 2-2 that I don't care about on turn two. You know, so sometimes I like to put my myself in my opponent's shoes there when they, when they make that block in. And being reactionary, like you mentioned, like you said, comes into it as well. Where, you know, when you're in combat and and because of the instant speed nature and, and the stack of magic, being the the person that plays the last spell or ability is, is at a huge advantage most of the time. And when you're the attacker and, it, and you don't use that combat trick, you're giving your opponent a chance to mess up. If they exactly. have, I have blown so many people out with that. We're like, I've got the combat trick and I attack in and they block. And I, I'm like, okay, cool. These trades are fine. And then they're like, impeccable timing your guy. I'm like, oh no, 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 no. We've got blossoming defense. Not only am I getting rid of your impeccable timing, I'm killing your dude too. And it's like, exactly. they, they didn't have to do that. And I, it, like if I do that in the reverse order and I fire off the defense first to try to win the combat, they two for one me. So it's like, I got to be okay with this trade that doesn't look great on the surface if I want to get that opportunity for the two for one. And I mean, classically, that's what wins more games of limited, you know, five, five trains, notwithstanding. <laughs> no, exactly. And that's, you know, Russia vitality is a really good example of that, right? Where, you know, you can fire off the Russia vitality after your opponent's blocked, but before they've had a chance to do anything. And you're hoping that they don't have removal because if they have removal, you've just wasted your, one of your, your better combat tricks, let's say in your deck. And, I think I did this with with the Untethered Express the other day where the opponent, you know, I attacked with like a 5-5 five, five or a 6-6 six, six train knowing that they were going to double block it. I'm like, you know what? I'm okay if they double block it. But if they have something like an, an Appetite for the Unnatural or a Pump Spell or something like that to try to keep one of their creatures, I can blow them out with Rush of Vitality on this train. But I can't do it if they've got, like, I can't do it first if they've got, like, Appetite for the Unnatural because then I just get wrecked. I'm down a train, I'm down a combat trick, and I'm down a bunch of life next turn. So you kind of have to just accept the fact that sometimes creatures are going to trade and that's just what happens in magic, right? That's you're, you're never going to win every single combat in a game of magic. So you might as well just accept that, um, which means that you kind of have to make decisions on attacking and blocking and you have to say, you have to answer the question, am I okay trading this creature for that creature on the other side of the board? Am I okay with trading my creature with a powerful ability for a creature with a mediocre ability on the other side when my opponent double blocks. Am I okay with those? And if the answer is yes, then, you know, that 
pushes you more toward the to the attack. But if you're not okay with that, and you think that you're going to have to fire off that combat trick to keep your creature around, you kind of have to take a step back and say, okay, is that really the right play? In the case where you need to get that creature off the board, like you said, yes, that's, that may be the right play because that's the only way you win. If not, you know, maybe not playing that combat trick, maybe not attacking and playing out your your five drop instead is a better play. So yep. you kind of have to evaluate all of that together, but it begins with being okay. Uh, in, you have to be okay with making the trade to let your opponent make the first move and then set themselves up to make a mistake. Correct. Correct, Amundo. That, that is the point I was wanting to drop home there. And then the, the last little trick that I have for you is actually one that played out for me Tuesday on stream. And I, I'm going to brag for a little bit because I was a golden god for nine rounds of magic. I played nine matches and lost one. So I, I, I came in, we'd done a draft the day before and I'd lost the first round. I lost, I won the next two rounds of that draft. Then I played another draft and won all of those. So we're up to six. Then I played in a sealed PPTQ, right? So we've got another five rounds. I played 11 rounds of magic that day. Wow. I, I lost one where I got mana screwed and then won the others. And I'm like, I am amazing. Okay. And, <laughs> I love that feeling. And we get to the last round of the PTQ, PPTQ and this matters. I need the token. I'm playing against a stream viewer, which I think is really cool, but I've been streaming for nine hours. I'm a little hungry. I'm a little tired. Dutch is making a ton of noise with a bag in the corner and I'm starting to think about dinner and I absolutely lost my focus and I made some really terrible plays, just some awful plays. And I, I think it's important to remind people while and, and to remind myself while you're playing, focus on what you're doing. I also had somebody trolling me in chat, which like that's easy to fix. You click the band button, you move along with your life rather than trying to engage with that. And I'm not talking about Dave trolls. Dave trolls are cute. I'm talking about somebody coming in and saying you're an idiot and stuff like that. Like that, that's just garbage. Get out of here. But like I made some really embarrassing plays like um, didn't bother to order blockers when I attacked with a 10, 10 trumpeter and they blocked with a um, six, six crusher that I needed dead and a, a four, four that I didn't care about. Didn't bother ordering blockers. They had a combat, uh, like a, a, a little combat trick. I can't even remember what it was, but they saved the crusher and I could have killed it if I'd just bothered to order them the, the other way. Like that was just lazy and not thinking about it. Um, I can't remember what the other mistakes were. I, I kind of let it go, which I think is an important thing to do. But like while you're playing that last round of the day or the last round of the tournament, you need to try to be as focused as you were on the first round of the tournament or the first game of the day. And it's actually very difficult um, one thing that happened to me, which I, I'm, I'm going to again, go back to streaming. I was actually at a really tough spot in a PPTQ. This one, I did get the token from, and I wasn't quite sure what to do. And the doorbell rang and I went downstairs and, you know, dealt with what was going on down there. And when I came back, I was like, okay, I know exactly what I need to do. I attack with this, this, and this, I block this way next turn I win. And it played out exactly like that. So it's okay when you're sitting in a, a, a complex board situation and you realize you're a little distracted, a little less focused to step away for a second. Like mm -hmm. it's magic online. You've got 25 minutes on your clock. You can take a minute if you need it. And that, that's really what I should have done there was just take a second and get refocused. Like get the, the troll out of chat. Be like, dude, you can have, you're going to have dinner. It's not like they're going to stop making food in the next 30 minutes, <laughs> you can calm down and I could just go take the bag away from Dutch. So he's going to stop making noise with it. Instead of doing all of that, I rushed through decisions and made bad ones. So 
when you recognize that you're being distracted by something, take a second and get rid of that distraction if you can and try to stay focused on what you're doing if winning is what's important to you. Because like going back, I, I went back and watched the replay. I'm like, this was so bad and I know better. This is not representative of my gameplay. And it, like, because I'd done so well the rest of the day, I, I was particularly embarrassed from it. I guess I needed to be kicked off down off of my high horse. So I'm like, you were not a golden God. You, <laughs> you are a magic player who had a, a good string and made some good plays, but you can get lazy just like anybody else. And I absolutely did it there. So stay focused folks. Especially if you're uh, if you're at a GP, you know, like you basically played more than GP's worth of games of, of matches and you would have day two'd, you know, had had maybe you, you paid attention and focused on that last round. So that, that's a good that's a good lesson. Do you have a way to identify it? Like, do you do you recognize when you're losing focus or is it kind of like in, in you know, as you're already halfway down that that path that you recognize it? Because I, I have troubles with that. Yeah, I, I think that's actually a, a stronger skill there is when you start to become more interested in something else than the match that you're playing. For me, sometimes that's chat. For But even when I'm playing Magic and it, it, I'm not involved in that, if I'm like thinking, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? You know, I, I wonder how Martin's doing. I hadn't talked to him in a while. When, when I'm having that sort of thought, I got to be like, whoa, dude, you can think about that in about 10 minutes. Right now, you need to think about how you're going to deal with this multiform wanderer. How many answers do you have in your deck? What can you do to stall until you draw them? Because the game revolves around that, and that's all you get to think about for now. So it's kind of like as soon as I start having stray thoughts, or I realize that I'm getting involved in a conversation with chat, that while fun and interesting would be great to have between rounds, it's like this is not the time for that. So as soon as you start to have those stray thoughts, and you're like thinking about pizza instead of, how long do I have until I draw the die young and, and kill this annoying, you know, bat that's, that's going to peck me to death. That's when you need to just cut it off and refocus immediately. I like it. So I find taking breaks between rounds, if I can, even just the two minute break yeah. helps me reset my focus. I often do that between rounds. Like I'll, I'll take a potty break or I'll go get a cup of coffee or sometimes I'll just go pet the cat for a minute. Like it, it's a good idea just to step away from it kind of let your brain reset. Remember that there is a real world. And if there's anything you need to do, like check your email, you know, check your text, call your mom, whatever it is you need to do, do that between rounds. So when you come back and you're ready to play, maybe this is a big life lesson. Do all of the stuff you have to do to be a responsible adult before you sit down to game. And then you won't get distracted about that crap while you're gaming responsible adult. I, I'm not sure I'm familiar with that phrase. Well, that means eat the tub of ice cream and the cookies first and then play. <laughs> yeah. I, I wish I didn't have to be an responsible adult anymore. It's awesome. One day, <laughs> one day, soon. one day soon. <clears throat> so that's it for your bag of tricks. Then that's all I got for us now. I'm sure I will have another bag by the time we need one. So thanks for going on this journey with me this evening. It, it was fun. It was fun. Uh, we'll, we'll file some more away. And if, uh, if anyone out there on the internet has uh, suggestions for more, they can drop them in your chat or my chat or on Twitter or whatever we want. Um, so I think that's going to wrap us up there. Why? Why? So, so speaking of Twitter and, and Twitch, where can the lovely folks out there find you if they're new to this podcast? If you dig me and want more of my stuff, you can find me on twitch.tv slash simulan. You can find me on Twitter at Simulan, and you can watch my draft videos right here on manadeprived.com. If someone was so inclined, Dave, 
Oh, you got me crying again. It's so sad. If someone was really sad and hated their life and wanted to watch you stream, where would they find that? Uh, I'm at twitch.tv slash dcivilian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. I'm also on Twitter. And I do the occasional draft video for Man and Deprived as well. I've got one that hopefully going up soon. Uh, Modern Masters, uh, sweet little... Actually, it was the Esper deck that goes up hopefully this week. So We'll miss you, Blinky. Oh, we'll miss you, Dinrova Horror. Just going to let it... Just gonna savor the moment here. <laughs> Alright, I think that's it for us today. So, uh, we'll catch you next week, or uh, two weeks from now, for our uh, uh, Amonkhet uh, set preview, I guess. So, thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time. Amonkhets!